Hello, Alaska. This is Pat Race. And this is Matt Buxton. And this is a podcast about Alaska. We're recording this about midday Sunday, uh, February 10th. That's the 27th day of the Alaska legislative session. Um, obviously, nothing's going on today, but um, this last week feels like it kind of feels like it was sort of a quiet week, and then it sort of blew up with um, the the news of the private the, the state is privatizing the uh, management of Alaska Psychiatric Institute. So yeah, yeah, I've had my head down all week. I've been working on this animated thing, and uh, it's been very time consuming to do animation. And so I've kind of come up for air, and I hear a little bits and pieces of these things. Um, so with API. Last week, we talked about it a little bit. They came under um, some heavy scrutiny for their uh, services and how they conduct their business and um, ranked last in the nation for these kind of care facilities. And so um, what's happening now? So uh, governor's very serious about his premises to privatize stuff. So he brought in a um, private prison company to run uh, the state's mental health hospital. Yeah. Well, so the management of it's privatized. So not everything is privatized yet, but um, the the kind of declaring an emergency situation with these sort of things like allows them to kind of break a lot of kind of uh, rules that you'd have in place for this sort of thing. So this is a no bid contract. Um, it doesn't go to the, the bid competitive bid process. It doesn't have any public review. Um, uh, there are no other so no other companies are allowed to like kind of stand you know uh, make their their offer on here. Uh, there's some kind of questions around where how it will affect um, kind of potential labor agreements over there. Um, it's pretty wild. How does that fit in with the idea that the legislature has the power of the purse? Can he like who who authorizes that money to be spent on a private company? So it's the Department of Health and Social Services, right? So Okay, so it's just money that they've been allocated already for normal operations that's being redirected to a private yeah, company. So the, 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 yeah, you're, you have emergency, you basically declared an emergency, and uh, kind of the legislature sort of signed off on them having greater latitude around the rules under the situation. So, I mean, it's hard to, it's hard to argue that they're really, that they're, isn't an emergency of some kind. I mean, they have this, this report was really horrifying. You know, it was putting... Yeah, uh, patients and, and employees there, you know, at immediate uh, chance of, of physical injury. Um, there were a lot of just kind of terrifying things going on there, but uh, I don't think it w- had to do with the it being publicly managed. Though I think it sounds like it was a lot more about you know the impacts of long term budget cuts on closing lots of beds and reducing the sort of staff and employees there, but. You know, who am I to say, I guess? So, so was this this facility must have been on people's radar before this happened, right? This wasn't just an overnight thing, right? Right. I mean, so the, the, it's been under investigation in some form or another for the last few years. Um, the, there's sort of, you know, the problem with these sort of facilities, right, is that for a lot of reporters, they're kind of just not in the beating path of things that we cover. Um, so I think there is kind of a, a blind spot for the media at some facilities like this. You know, they're it's yeah. not like they're inviting the press in every single day to see what's going on. I mean, these are very kind of tough and complicated situations. Um, just also a lot of privacy issues. Right. 
So there's that. Um, but you know, they've been they they have been in the news for the last year or two right now. Um, the the under you know, there's been whistleblowers there, right? There have been other kind of you know things coming out about people being really worried and overworked and overstressed there. Uh, you know, we've heard from local hospitals about the kind of strains that have been put on them um, for having kind of limited beds and long long wait lists for this facility. Um, so it's been on the radar, I guess. So is this just a trial balloon for privatizing prisons or, or is this, um, w- what do you think's going on here? So, I mean, that's, that's kind of where a lot of people are jumping to, I would say. I mean, me included, if you read my Friday column on this, like it, um, the company that's coming in, Wellness Recovery Paths, I think, or some reco- Wellness Recovery Solutions, Wellpath Recovery Solutions. So you just like, it sounds like one of those games where you just pick three random words and that's your business name. Right. And so <laughs> the thing is, so, I mean, they are, they, they're former, they formerly were, um, they're the product of a merger between this company called uh, Correct Care Solutions and another uh, uh, private prison kind of company. And um, if you like Google this other company with the, that this one used to be, um, they're they're part of the Geo Group that is this private, you know, kind of infamous private prison chain. Um, Correct Control Solutions, or I think is what it's called, um, ran a lot of the hospitals and in, in prisons. And it was just there's a lot of there's like all these sort of like crazy concerns about um, the safety, about putting you know the private bottom line kind of stuff where they're 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 understaffing and. Uh, really problematic in a lot of ways. Okay, so in that word, <laughs> in that word jumble of synergistic business names, you said one thing that uh, that resonated with me. You said Geo Group, and I know that name because it's tied to Donna Ardwin somehow. I don't know what the affiliation. She was on the on their board or lobbied for them or something, or what was the what she, was her she story? She did both. Yeah. Oh, she did both. Okay. And so, and she there's a couple reports out there that show that. Oh, you know, because, you know, we know that she kind of bounces from state to state, um, helping conservative governors out with kind of implementing their budgets, uh, deep, you know, arcane budget cuts. Uh, she also seems to have a knack of uh, having a pri- this private prison company landing kind of cush contracts all along the way, too. So does that benefit her financially or is that... I mean, like, as a board member, is she paid? Is she a current board member? So I don't. Like, so so it's it's kind of unclear from her financial disclosure whether or not she has any current. She doesn't doesn't. I don't think it says anything that she has anything current interest in it. But it um, there are a couple companies that might have um, contracts with the company, so she might have financial interests with companies that themselves have financial interests with her. We don't really know. This is a thing the Democrats have been asking and have yet to get an answer on. Yeah. So it, it, when the Democrats asked about that, or do they think that like one of the companies she works for or owns stake in also owns stake in uh, in Geo Group through like a chain of like almost like a chain of custody kind of thing? I think it's yeah, kind of or more or maybe more, more along the lines of just like contracts with them kind of. Oh, OK. So they would just yeah. benefit from like making money because they get contracted. They get hired to do a job later on. Mm hmm. Or maybe this is the job Fun. that they're being contracted for. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it, it, and has Geo Group had scrutiny in other states, or are I mean, you you kind of alluded to these. Yeah, I mean, a lot of basically any of these sort of many sort of kind of crazy or horrifying stories about private prisons, about uh, you know inadequate medical care, about. Uh, 
you know, danger safety conditions for, for the, for the inmates and for the, the staff, uh, stories about, you know, the kind of horribly, you know, prison food, um, being, uh, you know, so cheap that it's full of maggots. Like a lot of those sort of stories are coming from prisons that are run by this company. Um, you know, if you look up uh, control, correct control solutions with this, what was the sort of predecessor to the current company here, um, you know, they've been sued, I think, uh, hundreds, if not thousands of times over wrongful deaths and of all these other sorts of um, kind of things that you would hope that, you know, uh, that we might not be doing to people, but we are. Do you ever watch Orange is the New Black? I really like their take on prison privatization. They have uh, it just done a very good job of capturing how things can fall apart and incentives can shift uh, under the the need to appease shareholders and keep body counts up. Yeah. And so that's, I mean, that's the other element of it. That's also like really concerning for me is that at the exact same time they are, um, you know, they're dipping their foot in the idea of private prisons, prison companies coming into Alaska with, with the Alaska psychiatric Institute. They haven't done anything yet about privatizing prisons, but they're also doing this all at the same time that they're proposing to roll back, um, criminal justice reform in the form of Senate bill 91, Um, you know, they, they are looking at tougher sentencing across the board, which means, um, you know, hundreds, many hundreds more people will be behind bars every year for longer periods of time. You know, the, it's like a $41 million cost is what they saw this last week, uh, is what, what tougher prison sentences will mean. Um, so it's like they are setting everything up all, it's like the playbook right here of all the sort of things. And I, I kind of hate being, um, sort of, uh, conspiratorial about sort of this some of this stuff but it is sort of all these things that these are all this is the playbook of how you make a lot of money off of private prisons and so so tinfoil hat aside you the um we've been down this road before and we've we've kind of we've burnt our hand on the stove of privatized prison prisons before so uh it's odd to me that we're going back that we're the pendulum is swinging back in this direction it seems like we we had a lot of prison privatization in Alaska and people did not like that we were sending people out of state to these work farms in Arizona. And, um, it, there was a, there was a lot of pushback against prison privatization. You know, what was it 10 years ago? Mm-hmm. Well, and I think, I mean, you look at, you look at, if you, if you're really serious about ending crime, right. Um, it is very, uh, difficult to do that if you are sending people severing all their connections to their home if they are going and you know hanging out with all the la criminals or the arizona criminals right um and then they eventually you expect them to eventually ever come back to alaska you know they are all of a sudden building new ties and these new connections to things that you really might not want in alaska um oh that's interesting yeah yeah all right. Well, so so that's <laughs> something to watch develop. Um, what else is going on? There was a um, I did I did watch or actually I rather li- I listened to a um, a bit of the uh, House uh, informational session. So it was a House informational session on the budget. You know, this is a really interesting meeting. This is Tammy Wilson, who you know it I've I've covered as the Fairbanks reporter for many years, uh, so I knew her really well, and and kind of I have sort of. 
the the short answer that I'll say real quick is that I think that she really understands um, her constituents. She is one of the legislators who has always been able to point to a certain person uh, about any sort of legislation that she's ever proposed. She can say, you know, this guy in my district, he got screwed over by the railroad company, and this bill is here to fix him. And so, so keep that in mind. I think I think let's just listen to the rest of the clip, though. I think this is. I think just keep that in mind while you listen to this. Uh, yeah, so we're going to listen to uh, Tammy Wilson, and she is uh, grilling OMB, uh, Donna Ardwin, and, and another uh, presenter from OMB, and uh, they're in a House committee meeting. Representative Wilson. Thank you, Representative Ortiz. So in FY19, I see that the bulk of money that we're giving back is federal. Do we know how much general fund match was actually um, allocated, but then it didn't get used for matched money, but just as general funds? Representative Wilson, for FY19, the reflection on the graph for federal funds is primarily due to $75 million for the Medicaid program. It is a um, increase in uh, federal funds that does not require match. And I, I'll talk about it in a little bit. <laughs> and follow up. And, and can you um, also remember any time that we have as the legislature um, put out funding and budget, it has been budgeted by not us, but by another entity. So the $20 million that, that was referred to by Representative Sponholtz, um, that we have ever taken back monies that actually were allocated, were encumbered, and then we swept them at the last minute. To clarify, Representative, um, those <coughs> monies have not been allocated to the districts. They have not been spent. Um, Follow-up? Representative Wilson. Right, thank you. I guess I disagree with that. And the reason I disagree with that is because the school districts did um, make contracts. They did make obligations, just as if it was a capital project, um, within the school year of FY19. Um, so we had not, you are absolutely correct that we, the legislature, or the Department of Education, um, did not send the money out yet. But to say that it wasn't encumbered, I think it's, it's not a true statement because we already have class sizes have been determined. We've already hired staff, buses have been put together. I mean, all that was done based on the 20 million coming this year. Now, if we were talking about next year, that would be a whole different case. So how do you come up with, just because we haven't paid it out yet, that it hasn't been encumbered? Well, technically, state monies can't be encumbered until they're allocated. Interesting, Representative Ortiz. Um, follow up? Representative Wilson. Well, we do it all the time. I mean, the capital, when we look to sweep back capital monies, that is one of the questions that we ask is that in the project, have you already done the design? Have you already put the contract out? And so when we get those reports, it shows the monies that haven't been spent and monies that have been allocated but yet not sent out. So I guess I'll take it another step. So if we're not going to give this money to the school districts, was there any look at their um, savings accounts to see whether or not they would be able to have funds to be able to finish contracts that they have already signed. Representative, school districts, as you know, are separate entities. So um, we don't have the ability to micromanage them. Um, that being said, um, we all can see that there are um, ample reserves at school districts. Again, this was one-time money um, that was not to be expected to happen again um, in future years, and the money had not been allocated or sent to the districts. Follow up. Just one more. Mm -hmm. and thank you for the latitude. I appreciate it because 
Those statements are just so incorrect. I mean, you could disagree or agree that the districts, it was a one-time funding, and it was a one-time funding, but to take money back in the middle of it and then not even look at, and then make a comment that they have reserves, because yesterday we found out not all districts do have reserves. Um, we do have, Anchorage has $60 million, but I don't know how you know, that affects them. Obviously, we swept back $20 million. They're probably okay. But our smaller school districts, Northwest Arctic, um, I mean, Pelican, for instance, only has 47000 in their reserve. We've got others less than 100000 in their reserves. So to make a statement that um, our districts are going to be able to just make that up, um, I, I think that's incorrect. And who's going to actually get hurt are our students who, because you're right, we don't micromanage down into the school districts, but because they made contracts based on what we said we were going to do, that then becomes, you know, our problem. And finally, I just want to say that if we're going to be cutting $1.6 billion out of the budget for this next year, and we couldn't find this $20 million without taking out of schools, it's very disappointing. Thank you. Okay. Yeah. So that was, I don't know, that was really interesting to me to, he to hear, um, you know, both in terms of what she had to say about how, you know, the, what the responsibility was to uh, these school districts, um, and just in terms of, you know, her views on, on how we should cut. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. what do you think, Matt? I think it kind of shows a sort of a, a growing up a little bit, uh, for Tammy Wilson. I think, you know, sh this year she is looking at becoming, um, she really wants to become co-chair of house finance committee. And she's sort of been a minority member the last two years. And she was even, even when she was in the majority, she was kind of a minority member, so I think she fully kind of understands and, and wants the responsibility of a budget. And I think when that is in mind, I think kind of the really wild rhetorical, let's cut everything kind of becomes just that, which is, you know, political nonsense, right? I mean, as much as we hate government, we can't cut it completely without having these sort of monumental impacts on our communities. And I think Tammy really gets that. And I think... You know, it's kind of, it's sort of, you kind of almost compare her to Dunleavy a little bit. You know, her and Dunleavy both have kind of been these sort of cuts focused. I understand the people, but I think Tammy really does. I think, you know, I've been around Tammy a lot where I covered her campaigning where she really does go door to door. She knocks on every single door in the community, uh, sits down and has conversations with people who really don't agree with her or even are rude to her, but she'll, she'll hear them out. And I think, so I think to that end, I think she really takes it to heart that to, to really make sure that people are getting like the value for the government right i think i think that's kind of where her mindset is here so she wants you know she wants a small government but she wants an effective what what there is to be effective and i think she's really sincere about that and um it's i think it, her attitude is really stark in comparison to the dunleavy administration which you know sensibly these people should be on the same page all the way through right yeah and that's the that's the part that just sort of um you know, like throws up some red flags for me is that they're that you have these people who are very much of the mindset of like, I want to cut, but they're not part of this conversation. And when you're talking about, you know, government transparency and involvement, you want to get people on board before you propose something so that they're not surprised by it. So they're not taken back by it uh, and they can they can be supportive of it and they can be advocates for it. So if if Dunleavy is really serious about ushering through these cuts, you'd think you'd be having a much more public conversation um, and involving, at least involving, if not the public, the legislature and the people who have to back him up on that side of the government. Yeah, I mean, that's a big point is that, you know, the the political blowback for a lot of these points could 
you know, the legislature will shoulder that too. You know, they, they whenever they've discussed cut, cutting the budget, um, you know, we've seen the we've seen the the people uh, come out in, in really strong force against you know you know pioneer home cuts for example would be one. Um, so to not have some kind of buy-in, not to really understand where your your legislators are, and to maybe just assume that they're going to be on your side because they have the same letter by their name is, I think, going to be a big miscalculation here. Yeah, so I, I feel like we can just kind of keep speculating about the budget, but it's going to come out in a few days, and then we can actually talk about what's in it. And so I, so let's just set that conversation aside for now and... Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like we, that's I feel like the last several weeks that that's all we've been doing is is speculating about the, the budget. And it's it's really this big thing. That's this big ominous thing. And it's going to be a relief, I think, when it's out, because it's this um, it'll be it'll be nice to see. Uh, it'll be nice to see what these what the values are that are in the budget. You know, people mm-hmm. people say that you, you want a moral document, you know, like look at a budget and that's where your values are. So yeah. it'll be really It'll be really interesting to see finally what right sizing, what cuts, you know, what these campaign slogans mean in practice, and how Alaskans react to that. Yeah, I, I would agree. Um, I think I th- well, I th- hopefully, and hopefully that will um, give us a, a House majority coalition finally. I mean, we've been we're, we're at day twenty seven now. It, we're we're the longest it's ever been without a majority by almost a week now um and um so to have to finally maybe maybe we can finally get a majority going and maybe we can finally have like some serious committee hearings on this because i think that like people like tammy and you know even if it ends up being a republican majority of some kind i think you can kind of see the way that um legislators like tammy wilson have been acting legislators like uh, senator burt stedman have already been acting where they are very serious about you know, taking their, their their role as a you know equal branch of government and and to give scrutiny to these changes is you, you can see that they're taking it seriously. So I'm looking forward to that process. Yeah, I've got to say actually the legislature is a little higher in my estimation this year just because of how they've been handling this so far. It'll be interesting to see where it goes. So yeah. let's 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 change the subject and talk about. Um, I w- I was at the. Uh, Governor's Awards for the Arts uh, this week, and that was uh, that's something I, I have. I'm I serve on the I serve on the Alaska State Council for the Arts, and so I attend these things, and it's fun to be part of. I was part of the committee that um, you know chose the awardees, and I got to read a bunch of these applications, and it it's really that event was a really heartwarming, uplifting thing for me, and it's a little bit of a slog in that it's it's an award show, and so you're listening to just a a lot of thank yous, but these artists who are being recognized, and it's actually, it's the Governor's Awards for the Arts and Humanities, so there's the the um, Alaska Humanities Forum as part of this too, and um, there are, are these, you know, it was about uh, probably nine uh, award recipients, and they're from all over Alaska, and the ways that they have impacted our state are just so deep and uh, meaningful, and it was, it was really great to hear them speak about their experiences and their communities and um you know their hopes for the future of of this place that we live in and uh you know unfortunately the governor couldn't be there so uh dunleave wasn't there to present the awards um but uh kelly shibaka who's the um the new commissioner of administration who we've talked about a little bit before um 
uh, she's the one that uh, is replaced. Well, so there was a, like when we talked about vetting problems, uh, one of the people who had a vetting problem got sort of withdrew his name and she became the the one. And uh, man, she made a really good first impression. Uh, she talked about her, um, she, first of all, she's talked about how lucky she was to be there and how, how like she was very happy the governor couldn't make it because she got to, to address the audience. And she talked about her experience growing up in Anchorage and um, being bullied and how she uh, connected with the theater in town. Uh, Bob Pond, who was an award recipient last year, was one of her mentors and brought her into the Anchorage Community Theater uh, theater community. And she really blossomed and became kind of a theater nerd and found her identity through some of that work. And and she had a lot of good things to say about the arts and a lot of good things to say about Alaska. And it was really encouraging. She was an excellent speaker. Uh, and I talked to her briefly afterwards and just she seems very professional and well equipped to do the job that she's been assigned and I mean we'll see how it goes but it uh it it was a kind of a, a relief in a way for me yeah. both in ter- both in terms of both in terms of sort of the spiritual uplifting aspects of art and the uh and and just sort of a display of competence yeah and well and also we have a headline out this week too that she plans to fully and more thoroughly vet all of the uh Dinlevy administration's hires from here on out I think it includes checking references yeah, well, that's a good idea. And yeah. I, she seems like someone who's going to dot the I's and cross the T's. So um, Yeah, I mean, I think, and you know, I th- from everything I've read from her, too, is that she does seem very, um, like, kind of like Tammy a little bit, very um, interested in, sort of, and uh, devoted to making sure, uh, uh, you know, are very interested in good governance. You know, even if it's a conservative govern, you know, governance or conservative mi- mindset, you know, she really does seem to be interested in good governance. And I think that is really, um, really comforting, I think. And, you know, we'll see how she continues to play out in this administration. But um, I think it's important, you know, with people like this to sort of recognize where, there are good people, even if they might not agree with you politically, even if they're conservative. I still feel like good conservative governance is better than bad conservative governance. So, yeah, and and the governor does still have some vetting problems. Like there's uh, there's a new guy who's uh, from Ketchikan who was uh, part of a recall effort for the school board that, and um, one of the the guys who was put in part charge of uh, technology is already gone and. It's just so far it's been kind of a revolving door of, of inadequacy and uh, and I'm not sure quite what the process is is that they're using to find people but um, yeah it's it's been a little weird so far yeah. um, I, don't, I don't know hopefully I didn't get the wrong first impression but I, but I think she's gonna hopefully do a good job um, there there's definitely still some questions about you know her husband got a uh, got a job at the same time she did they both came in from out of state. Um, you know, was that job created for him as like as a favor to her? What was the discussion around mm-hmm. that? That's those are legitimate questions to ask. Um, you know, Alaska is a small state, and there there's often the appearance of impropriety uh, just because of how small our circles are. Um, an example of that is that the governor's awards, uh, my wife Marion performed at them, and we had a we had like a long conversation at dinner last night about you know what does that look like and. You know, should she have just not done that? And um, 
it's it's a small state and it's hard to um, avoid those appearances. Um, I don't know how how best to navigate that other than to not be personally involved in decisions that regard her. Well, you could be like uh, uh, Palmer uh, Republican Senator Shelley Hughes and maybe just never talk don't don't talk to her anymore. Yeah, no private conversations. <laughs> yeah. Um, the uh, that's an interesting thing that's happening right now is there's this ethics bill that's that came through last year that has changed the way um and i'm not sure i'm not sure if it had unintended consequences or if legislators are being overly performative about its effects but there are people who have said they can't like talk to their doctor in private about health care because they work on legislation about health care or you yeah. know some things to that extent and and it's that seems like maybe overinterpreted. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, and it's really frustrating because I feel like we're gonna what it what the long play here is that they're gonna pass another ethics bill, and just like our rollback to Senate Bill ninety one, it might go a little further back. It roll might roll them further back than they even were before, which I think is maybe the risk here. I'd worry about. But if you look at so there there's this kind of wild legal opinion on this bill that basically says can i have private conversations about legislation that i have a conflict with probably not and so but the problem here is not is not you can't talk about health care because you have a doctor it says you can't talk about a bill that you have a specific financial conflict of interest with so yeah i i kind of think that you know maybe i wouldn't like it to have my you know my uh, oil or, you know, a, a, a senator who's got some ties to oil having like private conversations about oil bills. You know, I think they're I think that the idea that um, that they can't like even talk to their doctor, they can't be going to their doctor anymore because they have a conflict of interest because their husband is mar- is, a, is a PA. I think that's like it's not that's not the intent of this bill. The bill says if she can't go and say, hey, hey, do you have an opinion about this bill, this healthcare bill that I have a conflict of interest with. Like, those are two different things. It's not, you can't, I'm frustrated about it. Yeah. (laughs) I got you tied in knots there. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I don't know. I I guess so it's, there's, it's a difficult balance, I think, between um, behaving ethically and throwing up so much red tape that no one can behave ethically. So, um, I mean, you can create enough laws that no one can talk to anyone about anything and that's also counterproductive um and you can create you can create a system where anyone can do anything and there's a there's a balance in the middle where people can behave in a it's it's not about not having those conversations it's about being transparent about those conversations if you're working for the oil company we should know you're working for the oil company and when you make a decision about you know, their business, we should know if you benefit from it. If you're working for a private prison company and you make a decision about a private prison company, or if you influence an administration to hire a specific company on a no-bid contract, that's all stuff that should be available to the public to see. Uh, and it, and not just to see, but I think there should be some repercussion for, for pocket lining. And so how do we, how do you moderate that? Like, that's a big, that's a big philosophical question is is how do you keep people from doing bad things because i think that there are people who are willing to follow the letter of the law and do very bad things uh and there are people who are 
trying very hard to follow the rules and and struggle with it and i you know i don't know what the i don't know what the answer is but it's hard to legislate ethics you just want people to be good yeah <sighs> yeah i don't know i think i think I think that there it, it is very interesting that I think the only legislator who is really making a lot of stink about it is this one legislator like everybody else doesn't seem to be having problems with it right now. Um, I feel like, yeah, there's like a willful misreading of, of these. Le- and well, and also this legal memo that they kind of are all citing too has a lot of it's it's one of those legal memos that is filled with a lot of probabilities and, and we think so's and there's not a lot of like very solid legal advice in it. And so, I mean, You've seen people not follow legal memos in the past. I don't know why this is the one that they decided that they need to follow to the letter of the law. Yeah. I mean, it, it seems to me like it's the lead in to rolling back some of the ethics reform. Yeah, I would think so, too. Yeah. Yay. <laughs> well, so, I mean, we're all just going to kind of sit around and wait a few days for this budget to drop. Um, and I'll talk to you afterwards. I'll see you on the other side of the budget. Yeah, I know it's going to be, well, I'm going to be down in, uh, I'll be, I'll be, I'll be, we'll be back this next weekend, but, uh, I will be back down. I'm actually, unfortunately timed, uh, vacation. It's been like six months in the planning, um, what, that we are leaving, um, uh, Wednesday morning for a week long stay in San Francisco. So, uh, I'll be reading some budget documents in, uh, well, I'll probably get in a burrito, I guess. Well, that sounds great. Have yeah. a good trip, and uh, when you get back, you'll be in the middle of a uh, very fun and active legislative session, I'm sure. Oh, I'm sure. I'll be, I'm, yeah. <laughs> I'm sad to be missing any any minute of it. Yeah. Oh, boy. Okay, well, um, I don't know. I, don't, I feel like there's something that we're not getting at here, that there's like – I mean, we get so in, in the weeds about this legislative stuff, and – there's kind of this broader Alaska that just keeps trundling along regardless of, of whether that exists or not. Um, I was thinking about this the other day in the context of the arts, you know, like the, there's a very good likelihood that the Alaska state council for the arts will be zeroed out in the, in the governor's budget. I don't know if the legislature will be able to put it back in or if the line item veto will be used to remove it again. And it's, uh, it's just like, it doesn't matter in some senses because I mean, certainly that money does a lot of good, but you can't stop art. Like it's going to exist anyway. And there are a lot of artists in this state who have who have benefited from the work that the Alaska State Council on the Arts does. But even if that were to evaporate and go away, I think that we would still have an identity and a culture, and um, and artists who just do such amazing work, um, regardless. So. I don't know. I think that that's, it's nice to know that whatever weird, crazy, awful stuff comes out of this budget, that that Alaska will still be Alaska and that, um, you know, we can we can define we can continue to define what that is. Yeah. Yeah. It was interesting this last week. Um, it was the deadline for uh, press club awards. So I was going back over a lot of the work I'd done last year and I was like, reading through like those uh, daily recaps I was doing and um, it was interesting because like uh, on one hand I felt like oh man am I am I slacking off this year a lot but it, it a lot of it is I think that there is just really not um, as much going on but it was interesting to sort of see the kind of daily battles that we were fighting 
uh, uh, this time last year. You know, it was we were talking, you know, the big fights were over the um, smoking bill and whether or not we were going to forward fund education and stuff like that. And so I think, you know, I, I think, yeah, you're right. I think on uh, there's sort of two hands where it's, you know, Alaska sort of does continue to trundle along kind of doing its thing. And on the other hand, I think there are some things that are going on that are um, not normal, right? I think we like, for, I, I hate, I've seen every little piece of this that continues to look like the beginning days of the Trump administration, but I do feel like there are these pieces of this that are coming together that are not normal, and I'm kind of heartened to see that there's sort of a, a wider and wider sort of acknowledgement of this. I think it sort of seemed right off the bat that, you know, I think people were giving everything the benefit of the doubt and, and all that, but I think people are starting to kind of pay a little bit closer attention, and I think that's really good. I think the more engaged people are, the more responsive and everything will be, because I think that's one of the big saving graces of Alaska is that it is the sort of small state where, um, where if somebody's not doing something, you know, I think the communities find ways to build it. And the community is, you know, that, that sort of core level thing, you know, you talk about art, you know, there, there's still going to be a vibrant thing. It might not be helped out and not as many people might not be able to participate in it, which is a real loss, but I think there are people will find a way to do things. And I think that's a, a really good thing to be falling back on right now. Okay, so well, I think that's an episode, and I'll uh, I'll talk to you again when you get back from your trip. And yeah, sounds good. Yeah, have a good time down there, and and enjoy some sunshine. Yeah, yeah, you too. Well, enjoy, I guess not sunshine for you, or maybe, but uh, enjoy enjoy the budget time, I guess, and whatever other whatever this sort of mysterious cartooning project or animation project that you're working on is. I'm excited to see oh, whatever yeah. it is. Yeah, I'm excited to share it with you. All right, I'll uh, I'll talk to you later. Goodbye, Alaska. All right, we'll see you guys. Representative Wilson.